Hey, that was all right. <laughs> hey, how's everybody doing? Good. Hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Daryl Holden. I'm one of the pastors here. It's really good to see you guys, to be with those of you who are worshiping with us online. Happy first snow. Not nearly as enthusiastic a response. Um, yeah, I was thinking Christmas, but we got Thanksgiving still coming, so um, let's not get ahead of ourselves, right? So good. Um, good to be with you today. Thanks for being here with us in worship. My privilege to be able to speak to you today. Um, so I was at a conference, those of you who read my email each week, I was at a conference early part of this week in Omaha, and um, Nebraska's a beautiful place to be this time of year, too. I, we should have been in Florida. I don't understand. But we were in Omaha, so... Um, I met this guy, and, and he was telling me this story about his young adult child who's going through suffering, like just a hard time. He's facing some really difficult stuff. And he was kind of unpacking a little bit of that as, you know, he's feeling the weight of it as a dad and talking a little bit about the things that were happening in his kid's life. And I said, man, I'm really sorry that, that he's going through that, that you're going through that, and he just... You know, he did we all, yeah, me too, I'm sorry about that. And then he stopped and he said something that caught me off guard. He said, you know, we, um, we pray for our kids that they grow up and that um, nothing bad happens to them, that God protects them, takes care of them, watches over them, and, and that they don't have anything hard that happens in their lives. And we pray that, that they love God, they follow Jesus. And I don't think God can say yes to both of those prayers. Interesting. I don't think God could say yes to both those prayers. And then he said something that was true for him. It's true for me, probably true for a lot of you as well. He said, you know, I think back, it's, it's the struggle, the trial, the bad things that are happening or that have happened in my life that those are the things that actually seem to result in growth and and drawing closer to God and following Jesus. And, and so I don't think God can answer both those prayers that everything stays nice and easy and fun, you know, rainbows and unicorns for them, and that they love God, they follow after Jesus. And my friend has experienced for himself and what he's really desiring and praying for his kids. So he said in all this, he said, you know, I'm not really, I'm not praying for like that good things happen right now. I'm praying that in this really tough season for him, he follows Jesus, and, and what my friend's doing, it's something that I would call, like he's suffering forward. Because if you've ever faced anything hard in your life, if you've ever been through a difficult trial, difficult circumstances, or somebody you love has, and you've done it with somebody you love, you know that, that pain and suffering can knock you every which way. It can knock you down, it can knock you sideways, it can knock you back and it can move you forward if you'll let it. So I wanna talk to those of you today who may be facing something difficult. I don't know what it is. I'm, I got stuff in my life that's heavy right now. And, and I wanna talk with us about how to, how to suffer forward, how to, how to move forward because, because again, pain can knock you down, it can knock you backwards, it can knock you sideways, or it can move you forward if you'll say yes to what God wants to give to you. So I believe God is, he's moving towards you. If you're, if you're in a tough season right now, somebody you love is in a tough season right now, so if this is for you or for you as an encourager for somebody else, 
I think there's really good things that you and I can, that we can know and receive, say yes to, so that when pain is present in our lives, we get to, we get to move forward. So, so we're gonna be in 2 Corinthians chapter four today. And what's going on in 2 Corinthians, we've called this series Verified, because this is, this is stuff that's true, that's stamped correct, right. Because there's a lot of bad ideas in the first century when the scriptures were written, and there were a lot of bad ideas in our day today about what real faith is. And so a lot of what's going on in this little letter to that ancient church at Corinth and to this church in 21st century Minnesota, a lot of what's going on in here is just like, hey, these are the things that are true that you can expect, and if they're going on, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean there's something bad or wrong with you. It just means that you're doing what happens to people and to Christian people. And, and so this little section of the letter in 2 Corinthians chapter four, the reason it's in there is because the apostle Paul who wrote this letter was, he was suffering and people in the ancient city of Corinth were saying, hey, if you're going through a hard time, then you must not be a very good Christian or certainly not a spiritual leader, right? Because People who, people who follow the Lord, people who are like the good Christian people, it's all rainbows and unicorns for them. And if you're suffering and having a hard time, you, there must be something wrong with you as a Christian person. And so, so these words that we're gonna kind of make our way through today are written to speak into that idea that if you're having a hard time, there must be something wrong with you. So we're kind of we're stepping into the middle of a conversation starting in verse seven. So I'm gonna read these words and then I'm gonna just kind of back up a little bit so that we can kind of know where we're coming from. So the Apostle Paul writing about himself, but this is also true of you and it's true of me. If you're a believer in Jesus, these words are true of you. So he says this, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. So he's writing about suffering, struggle, that he's got going on in his own life and just it's transparency and vulnerability about those things. And so I think for us to be able to kind of get what he's saying and be able to grab that for ourselves, there's three little nuggets in there that I wanna unpack for you. The first one, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay, what he's talking about, this treasure that we have, is the life and light of Jesus. That, that he has shined into your darkness, he has traded your life for his life, this is what he's willing to give to people who say yes to him because of his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. And so we have this treasure in jars of clay. So the life and light of Jesus lives inside of human beings. And, and the jar of clay is just his description of human. And so it's particularly pointing out human weaknesses. And I, I was thinking about that and it's like, yeah, God, like at creation, God, like he, he formed us from the dust of the ground. And so we really kinda, it's a great metaphor, we really are, we're like these jars of clay. And, and we have, like, we're human physically, emotionally, like, we're, we're weak. And yet, this life and this light of Jesus resides in us, 
and he makes that statement that this life and light, this all-surpassing power is in jars of clay to show that the power is not of us, it's not human, it's actually from God, this all-surpassing power. And as I was kind of thinking about, okay, so what's a quick way to understand that? It really is the Gospel of John, chapter one, verse five, when he's talking about Jesus, he says the light, Jesus who is the light, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so this, this all-surpassing power of God, the light and life of Jesus resides in these jars of clay and because there's this internal all-surpassing power that we have, it's for us and it's for those to be shared with those who are around us, because that is in these jars of clay, we're hard-pressed but not crushed. We're, we're persecuted but not abandoned. So those, those statements that he made, it's, it's not that there's some sort of strength within the Apostle Paul or me or you, it's that there is this all-surpassing power at residence and at work in us so that when we are pressed, we are not crushed. But jars of clay, they do, they disintegrate. Jars of clay turn to dust. And there's a real acknowledgement of that that, that there is a day, there's a time for each one of us when this jar of clay, its earthly purpose is done and God allows it to become dust and because that's true, he writes down in verse 14, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. And so he's, he's looking ahead to a future resurrection day. And what really grabs my attention when I read this is he says, we know. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. He's expressed, this is, this is certainty of faith. This is, he's had an encounter with the risen Jesus, so he, he knows by sight that Jesus rose again from the dead. You and I know it by faith. He knew it by sight, but he knows for certain that this one who, rose, who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise him, the Corinthians, you, me, when this jar of clay has become dust, there's still a future day for these things, and so there's, there's this faith statement that we can't miss in these verses that, that while there is difficulty and struggle today, there's future life, resurrection, light of Jesus for us. So, so there's this certainty that comes from faith about this future event. And then the last few verses I wanna read from 2 Corinthians chapter four for tonight verses 16 through 18, therefore. So because we have this life and light of Jesus in these jars of clay, this all-surpassing power, and because there is a future resurrection that we are sure of, therefore we do not lose heart. We don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed 
day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what's seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So I don't know if you write in your Bible, I write in my Bible, and next to that last little verse, verse 18 there, what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. I have two little sentences, and this is just something that Holden family hangs on to different points. This life is short, the next life is long. But just so because there is a future resurrection that what we go through here, <laughs> values, priorities that we set for ourselves, desires for ourselves, for our kids, the way we suffer, the way we hold, what we hold on, this life is short. And the next life is long, and so we don't lose heart. And what I really appreciate in all this is that the struggle's real. You know, there's no, there's no dismissing in the scriptures, there's no dismissing of pain. God never looks at his people and says, oh, don't worry about it. Right? Or, oh, you're just, you know, you're, that's all in your head. <laughs> you're make, even if it is all in your head, it still hurts, right? I mean, it's, there's, there's, no, there's no dismissing of pain. There's no, like, there's no slipping it to the side, pushing it to the side. Struggle's real. We don't lose heart in this. So he admits in other places, like Paul does, he writes in this letter. We looked at a couple of them back in chapter one, I think, where he talks about the stress he's under, the sleeplessness, sleepless nights, the, the, hard, the hard stuff he goes through. And saying all that is like, that's real, but, but we have this treasure in jars of clay and we have a future, so we don't lose heart. And one of the commentators I was reading on this called this the rejection of despair. I thought that was great. That in the midst of difficulty, trial, hard circumstances, feeling pressed, as Christian people, who have the life and light of Jesus in us and the future that has been promised and guaranteed to us, we reject despair. We, we might feel doubt, we might feel, like we might feel exhausted, we might wonder, we, we can go through a lot of different things, but we reject despair. There's this rejection of despair. Instead, we fix our eyes on Jesus and on the future, and when you have your eyes fixed on the future, you are suffering toward the Lord, which means you are suffering forward. And suffering forward requires faith, and this is some of what, when the writer of Hebrews says, he says, without faith it's impossible to please God, but whoever comes to him believes that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so people who just kind of put their foot in the ground, the faith statement of, here's what we know. We know that the one who raised Jesus from the dead is gonna raise me and us from the dead, and we have an eternity that, so, so we know that, we believe that, we're gonna suffer with that truth in mind. There's reward in that. And that reward is that, that growth, that life, that Next steps that, that those who endure suffering well experience. And so we, we put our eyes forward and 
to me, there's, there's good news here. So I wanna make sure that you're hearing something from me. Be really easy for you at this point to think, okay, I gotta figure out how to, like, how to fix my eyes on what is unseen. Like, I gotta do that. You, can I tell you, you don't have to do that. Like, the Lord's willing to do that for you. So I was reading this morning, I read Apple News. Anybody else, you iPhone people, we read Apple News together, right? So not in the room. Hopefully you guys online are raising your hand. I, seriously, I'm the only one who reads Apple News. Okay, so I'm reading Apple News this morning. It's an article at Fast Company, and it was by a lady named Susan Fowler. It's basically a promo for her book on, on motivation. It was an interesting little article, and she talked about how she encountered this young man who was awaiting test results for his health that they came back the wrong way. He was facing a lifetime of difficulty and suffering. And, and she said that she was so thankful to have a, a skill set of being a motivator, being a motivator for other people. She said she was really thankful and she used that skill set to give this scared young man strategies for generating the vitality to effectively meet his challenge. So what grabbed me was that idea of generating the vitality, generating the necessary vitality to effectively meet the challenge. And what that, like the worldview there is that when I'm facing a challenge, it's in me, like I got, but I, somebody help me so I can rise to the occasion. But if, if you faced, like if you've really faced something for yourself, for somebody that you love, I think it's fair to just admit, I, I don't have it in me. I don't have it in me. And I don't think you have it in you either. And so if you're, if you're going through a difficult season and you are, like for a moment maybe you have stirred up the necessary vitality, but you find that waning, like you can't keep that stirred up, I, there's really good news for you. You don't, have to, you don't have to generate the necessary vitality in order, to, in order to meet your challenge. So let me give you some good news, and I love the words of a guy named David Garland who's quoting another guy named C.M. Pate. He's talking about our little passage, these verses we've been reading today. He says, Paul, like the psalmist, quoted by Paul in chapter four, verse 13, and we didn't read that verse, so I give you that notice. So Paul, like the psalmist, speaks of deliverance, not of inward immunity. If you put that into the language of the Fast Company article, scripture doesn't write about generating the necessary vitality to face and to suffer forward. It says that you have a savior who will rescue you in the midst of your circumstances and, and take you forward if you'll say yes to him, if you'll let him do that for you. So, so I'm, not, I'm not trying to tell you, I'm not trying to be another motivator that somehow you sitting here for this little bit work up the vitality that's necessary to face your particular challenge. I'm telling you that there is one who will step in and rescue you in the midst of these difficult circumstances. And, and I wanna show you a little segment of the Apostle Paul's life where this really is 
brought to life for us. And how I ended up at this little section is I, I love his words of we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. Take courage, we don't lose heart. And he says it a couple times in chapter four. There's another place he says it, and it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 27. And what's going on in Acts chapter 27, is the apostle Paul's on a boat. And, and he has been, like they're on this boat for a couple of weeks being driven by a storm. So they're on the boat for just a couple of days and this big northeastern comes up on whatever sea they're on and even the experienced sailors are in fear. They, they think the ship's gonna break apart. Like it is, it's, it's bad, it's, it's bad. And so they've been, been driven by this wind and starting in verse 22, he says he's talking, to, he's talking to the sailors, he's talking to the passengers, and he's on the ship as a prisoner, being taken to Rome, but he's, so the other prisoners too. And so as he's talking about this, he says, um, he says, now I urge you to keep up your courage. And that's the same, like take heart, you know, don't lose heart, keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Great news, the boat's going down, but you're gonna live. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Again, great news. So, so in this little section of his speech, I find, I find a number of things that just from a real practical standpoint of, of what it looks like when, when you and I are saying yes to this rescue that God wants to provide for you, when you and I are saying yes to this fixing our eyes on what is unseen so that instead of, instead of despair of being crushed, we get to we get to suffer forward into this growth and the goodness of life that God wants to give to us. So, so I got four things here. The first is find a promise from God and hang on to it. I love where Paul says, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. And that to me is a really cool statement. I, the God to whom I belong. He had a promise from God. And it came by way of angel, and he was certain of it. You and I, we got a book full of promises from God. And, and to find, when you're, when you're facing suffering, to have a promise that God has made to people who are suffering is an awesome thing to hang onto. And some days you will, some days you'll just kind of get your hand on it because it's a good day and some days you may have to white knuckle onto that thing. But to have a promise of God and hang on to it, to find it in the scriptures, to, to receive it in prayer, to have God's people speak into you what he promises to do, to have a promise from God, to, for you to ask the Lord, Lord, what do you say about this? Like, that's a powerful question. And sometimes it takes a little bit to get the answer from him, 
But when you're facing stuff that you don't know what to do, like, Lord, what do you say about this? And let him tell you what he says about this. And when you've got a promise from God, you hang on to it. You hang on to it. Both hands. You find a promise from God and hang on to it. Second thing about keeping our eyes fixed on what is unseen is to, um, to preach God's faithfulness to yourself. So I cho- chose this word preach on purpose because I know some stuff about this. Um, <laughs> you're like, yeah, you do. Um, so I, when, I was in, um, when I was in seminary, we took preaching classes and they pick, they pick the craziest passages from scripture to have you preach in front of your peers. And it was back in the day of, you know, like videotaping cameras and the professor sat in a, a separate room. You could see him through the glass, but really he was videotaping and he was commenting while you're preaching to your peers who are writing notes to critique you. So it was like, it was awesome. Um, you, you guys are walking the park compared to all that. Um, but I remember one day, because they give you these goofy passages to, to preach, and they're so hard to know what, what in the world is God trying to say to his people with this passage. And so I just, I asked him, one day I said, okay, so in the real world, you know, the weekends are every seven days. So, you know, and we have Saturday church and Sunday church, so I really have six days now to get, so what, what do you do when you, how certain do you have to be to preach a sermon? That was really the question, was like, how certain do you have to be before you can walk on stage and tell God's people what God's word says? And he told me 70 to 80%. So the reason I say that to you is because, because I'm telling you, when you're going through difficult circumstances, you have to preach God's faithfulness to yourself. And it might be a sermon you're not 100% sure about, but that's okay. You preach, if you could be 70% sure that God is faithful, that that promise that he's made you, that you're hanging on to, that he does what he says he will do, if you're 70% sure, you could preach that sermon to yourself. And, you know, sermons, good good sermons, like when you're gonna preach, you need a story, so, See stories of God's faithfulness. And there are a lot of places to get them. I was kind of thinking through, you know, if, so if I didn't know a lot of stories, like if you didn't grow up in this stuff, a great resource would be a children's Bible. And I don't mean that to like talk down to you. I'm telling you, those children's Bibles, they take, they take the main stories from scripture about who God is and what he wants for his people and they, they cut out of stuff that takes up a lot of space and it's hard to read through and you'd wonder what's going on about it and they give you, they just give it to you right there in a, just this kernel of who God is and what he's doing for you. You could, if you don't know or you're struggling to figure that out, a children's Bible is a great place to start. You can read biographies of Christian people. Just think, I, I, I made a couple notes here for who I really like. I like George Mueller. If you don't know that name, Christian history, you should know that name. And just pretty much anything that's written about George Mueller, a man of great faith that experienced God's faithfulness in incredible ways. And most of his life and ministry, except God showed up, there's 
There's no explanation for how it all happened. And so George Mueller, um, Amy Carmichael, she was a Christian missionary in India the last generation. She wrote a challenging book called A Chance to Die. It's the name of that book. I'd recommend that to you. A guy named Nick Ripkin wrote a book called The Insanity of God. I'm not gonna tell you any more about it, but if that title doesn't intrigue you, The Insanity of God. If that, you want stories of God's faithfulness, you'll, you'll find them in there. So to preach God's faithfulness to yourself, the third thing is to find some big faith people who'll help you believe God's big promises. You need spiritual cheerleaders in your life. You need people who know the Lord and who, who have experienced his faithfulness, who believe it. And some of you are going through stuff that maybe it's really hard to believe right now and you need people who believe for you. you just, maybe you can't believe, maybe you can't get to 70% to preach your own sermon to yourself of God's faithfulness. But to have some people around you who, who will continue to, to remind you of God's faithfulness. I, I'm, I'm inspired by the Apostle Paul on that boat when he, says, when he says to these guys, he says to them, he says, keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that'll happen just as he told me. And just some people who'll be around you who'll say, hey, be of good courage. I have faith in God that'll happen just as he said. You may not have enough faith right now, but to have some big faith people who are close to you who will believe God's big promises to you and for you when you can't believe it for yourself. And this is one of the reasons that we, we talk so much about having biblical community. People, Christian people who are in your life who will help you move forward in your faith and when you're suffering, who will help you suffer forward to have some big faith people who will help you believe God's big promises. And those are, it's essential if you're going to suffer forward because suffering knocks you all kinds of directions and you gotta have some people who are surrounding you who make sure that when you're kinda off your feet, you know, that like we're still moving towards the Lord and his, and his goodness and that growth that he wants to give to us. And so to find some big faith people who will help you believe. And then this last one, to act on the promise that God has given you. It's a crazy little line at the end of it. Nobody's gonna die, but we gotta run the ship aground. I'm not a sailor, so I'm not, like, I'm not 100% sure, but it, I think boats are made for the water, not the ground, all right? So, okay, in a storm, we're gonna run this ship into the ground, and it's, it's not gonna just run into the ground. You, they're not gonna into a harbor, and they're gonna hit a reef, they're gonna hit a sandbar, they're gonna hit something, they're gonna hit something hard, and it's a wooden ship, and the storm is battering it, and the, the ship is gonna break up. So here we are, all these people in this boat, and we're gonna run it aground, and the ship is gonna break up, and not all of us can swim, and you're saying that we're all gonna live through that. Yeah, because the God to whom I belong and who I serve told me that none of us are gonna die, so yeah, we're gonna run the ship into the ground. So act on the promise that God has given you, and I would tell you that this action, apart from God's promise, may not make sense under the circumstances. But, but acting 
on the promise of God when you're saying yes to him and he's like he's kind of poking you saying, hey, we need to walk this way a little bit. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but I got this promise that I'm hanging on to and I'm going there. And I was thinking about this, of, okay, so like what? So I have friends, I've told you about them before, but this, is, this to me was one of those things that it was absolutely nuts. And yet, so my friends David and Julie, suffering with infertility, suffering. And those of you who are in that or have been through that, you know. They're suffering with infertility. And Julie was praying over that and just laying it all out before the Lord and he told her that he was gonna give her a child. And she kept praying into that, like, Lord, is this you? Is this really you? Is this, you know, make sure this isn't just me and the desires of my heart, but is this you? And the Lord was really clear with her that he wanted to give her a child. And they, David and Julie, yes, Lord, yes. They say yes to that. You know what they did? They bought a minivan. Right? I mean, but, oh, awesome, awesome and risky, because if God doesn't come through, they have a minivan. <laughs> Harper Jane's probably six or seven years old now. Um, but to act on the promises that God has given you, like, like he's gonna show up and do for you what he said he would do. There's stories in scripture, people doing crazy stuff all the time. Naaman, had, he had leprosy and God said, go wash in the Jordan River seven times, up and down seven times in the Jordan River. People needed water, dig some trenches. They had to dig the trenches. Like, what, what are you doing? Well, water's coming, so we're digging trenches for water, it's okay. So. But to act on the promises that God has made you, even if those actions don't make any sense. And let God, like just, it's your big yes to God as he calls you forward. So here's how we're gonna wrap up this part of, of our time together today. I'm gonna call the band back out here and uh, we're gonna sing a song together. And this is, this is actually a song of, um, it's, it's a song of joy, it's a song of celebration. It's a song of excitement, and it's a song about this really big God who does things for us in really difficult circumstances of our lives. So there's this line in it about I'm trading my sorrow, I'm trading my shame, I'm, like, I'm trading all of that for the joy of the Lord. So here's, here's my offer to you. So if you're here and you're feeling struggle, pressed, maybe you feel broken, abandoned, like you feel like maybe that life and light of Jesus hasn't been doing its thing inside of you. This is your opportunity just to, to take God at his word. This is one of those, we're gonna sing this like it's true even if you're not feeling like it's true in this moment and if you just can't, it's okay. You're surrounded by people who are willing to believe God for you in this. So if you just need to stand there and let this wash over you let your church be some big faith people who help you believe God's big promises for you, all right? So I'm gonna pray that for us, and when I say amen, you guys stand and the band's gonna take it, all right? So Father, in this moment, 
We wanna be people who suffer forward toward you. There are people who, I'm thinking of people right now who's suffering for whatever reason, it got them. Knocked them down, knocked them sideways, knocked them backwards. We want, we want more and better, we want different for ourselves, for our friends who are here, who are watching online. So, so I'm praying that over these next couple minutes as we sing this truth of who you are, of your faithfulness, of your goodness, of your willingness to rescue, that you would rescue. Deliver us from thinking that somehow we have to, we have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and somehow we have to find it within ourselves. We're turning our, we're turning our eyes towards you we are fixing our eyes not on what is seen, but on the one who is unseen and eternal. With joy and with gratitude. So Jesus, we are singing this and we are praying these things all in your name because they're your promises. We say yes to them, amen. Persecuted, not abandoned, 
struck down but not destroyed. I'm blessed beyond the curse for this promise will endure. This joy is going to be my strength. Though the sorrow may last for the night, this joy comes with the morning. Yes, I'm trading my sorrows and I'm trading my shame. I'm laying them down with the joy of the Lord. And I'm trading my sickness. Yes, I'm trading my pain. Yes, I'm laying them down with the joy of the Lord. And I'm laying them down with the joy of the Lord. 